Hello, and welcome to the youngest ever edition of EdChoice Chats, and that's going to make sense in a second. I am John Kristoff, Senior Research Analyst uh, at EdChoice, and you have joined us for one of our Opinion Tracker podcasts, which we do on the regular. We're talking about our new survey of teenagers today, and that's something that we do a handful of times a year. And a new wave is out on our website with Morning Consult, our satellite website, edchoice.morningconsultintelligence.com. You can uh, check out the report and follow along here if you would like. Joining me today is Colin Ritter, as always, a research associate here at EdChoice, and a brand new guest here today, Patrick McGrath, himself a certified teenager, currently a senior at Hamilton Southeastern High School in Fishers, Indiana an incoming freshman to Ball State University. Chirp, chirp, so I hear. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. I haven't fact-checked that this is the youngest ever EdChoice Chats podcast, but I feel pretty confident in that since I'm kind of the outlier. I think I'm the outlier dragon that age up a little bit. But anyway, we are going to follow a format that uh, people who have heard the tracker podcast before should be familiar with. We're going to go over some results that we find surprising, some results that we find not very surprising, some results that uh, we are going to want to keep an eye on going forward because we think they might be uh, important. And I'm sure we'll find some other insights in the meantime. So with that, I think we'll just get started. Colin, I'm going to throw the first question to you. There's a lot of meat in this teen survey this month. What was the biggest eye-opener for you? Yeah, thanks, John. And uh, I agree. The teen surveys always have... It's tough. We can almost do like two or three podcasts on this. I had a couple different directions. I'm going to go with... We asked a question. We asked this in our Gen Pop parent surveys as well, but we asked teens directly... Thinking about your future, academics, and mental health. So in these three areas, how supported do you feel by your school, your parents, your teacher, your teachers, and your friends? So those four support systems asking about, you know, really important things like the future, their academics, and mental health. There's so many different ways you can go with this. Uh, The first thing that sticks out is that mental health support, teens feel that their mental health support from their school is not up to standard. 34% of teens say that their school, they feel supported by their school. That means that two in three teens don't feel supported. Their school does not support their mental health. That stuck out to me. Their teachers support their mental health at about 42%. So roughly half of teens, you know, that wasn't too surprising to me. The thing that stuck out to me, and I'm curious, you know, kind of how this will change in the future, but the support from the teens school really lagged behind, especially with mental health in the future. I mean, I don't know if schools are the most traditional source of support for mental health, but I'd, I was hoping that the number would be higher than one in three teens feel that way, especially with the mental health crisis in our country now and, and just how much it's talked about and how important it is. But the thing that really stuck out to me, and I think it's kind of an indictment on the schools in general, is when you're looking at how supported they feel academically, teens are more likely to feel supported from their parents, from their teachers, and from their friends more frequently than their school. I mean, I was shocked by this. I, I thought schools would at least 
be number one or number two. I mean, when you're thinking about academic support, obviously teachers and parents are up there, but the school being last, I mean, behind friends, like 59% of teens said they feel supported by their friends academically compared to 56% of teens feeling their school supports them academically. That was shocking to me. And I think it was just kind of a theme. It was one of the big themes that I took away from this teen's report is that teen schools, they're not doing as well as I thought. And teens are definitely kind of bearish on how their school is supporting them, especially when it comes to mental health, but academics and future as well. Yeah, those are some really good insights there. And certainly contrary to, I think, how we talk about academics in school. And I, I don't know, I feel like there's enough conversation out there about how friends are negative influences on your academics. So for a lot of teenagers to feel like they're actually better than the school itself probably should, you know, maybe incite some soul searching. That's a good insight. Patrick, what about you? What jumped out to you? The thing that I highlighted first when I was reading through it was the bit about chat GPT. So more than two in five teens have heard about chat GPT. Right. And for me personally, at, at my school, it, it's it's taken our school by storm. A lot of people are using it right now for our comp classes and just for these random like kind of throwaway assignments that teachers assign us, you know, the hey, the reading check ones. A lot of people are just using it for that. And it, it's kind of scaring our teachers a bit or a lot of them are turning to us to ask what what should we do about chat GBT and, and what should the punishment be for using it, essentially. So I found that one really interesting. It reminded me of a discussion we had in my comp class the other day. My teacher was talking about, you know, how do we use it in the future? Because the, the site that we use to turn in our papers, turnitin.com, scans for plagiarism and all that. And it just got a, a chat GPT AI detection checker. And she went through a bunch of our papers and there were high percentages on how much was used by AI. So we were kind of talking about that. And, and I kind of brought up in that class that, ChatGPT and AI is going to be like the calculator, right? At some point, people didn't have a calculator in math class, and all of a sudden it came on. I can imagine it was a similar similar reaction by math teachers, right? So I think it's going to be more, more used as a source and more as a way to format papers and format responses, but you can't just ban it altogether. That's what my school's done at, at the moment, but people are finding ways around it, evidently, by the, the amount of papers that my teachers said flagged at over 80%. AI generated. All right. That's kind of what I've highlighted first, just because it's been our topic of discussion in multiple classes this past week. I think that's really interesting. And for those who haven't seen, you know, we did ask a couple chat GPT questions for the first time. And I think it's true that this is our first teen survey that we've done since chat GPT kind of took the world by storm a little bit. I guess I should explain too. If you don't know what chat GPT is, it's basically a new AI tool that is probably just the most user-friendly it's the best combination of, of user-friendly and also capable, basically a chat bot that you can ask it questions or you can try to talk to it and, and it can churn out some pretty good results. So, you know, you can look up news stories if you haven't seen them yet about, uh, you know, concerns of, can you ask ChatGPT to write a five paragraph essay about Shakespeare for you or whatever? And it does a decent level job, as Patrick has mentioned, or at least decent enough job that it's become a, a matter of concern. I'll actually ask you the follow-up question, Patrick. The results that we have say that I guess it would turn out to be like 39% of teenagers say that they have not used this before. And 15% say that they use it in their free time. And only 8% say that, I'm sorry, I guess a combination of 13% say that they use it at school. Based on what you're telling me, that sounds low. So in your case, does it seem like 
maybe more than 13% of your schools using it? Or is, is that about right? And that's actually just a big enough influence. Yeah. So me personally, when I read that, I thought that was low. A little bit of background in my school. My school gets a middle-class, high-class suburb, right? There's lots of technology available in my school. Everyone has a computer and almost everyone has phones. Some people have iPads as well. So there's lots of technology in my school and lots of people familiar with technology and the ability to use it at home, not just at school. So I think that's kind of played a role in like, everyone knows what it is, everyone's using it. And so that number to me, yeah, it did seem low when I read it, but I think it could also just be part of, you know, my school is very technologically advanced. There's lots of opportunities to use it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I was just curious about that. That's that's good stuff. And I'm definitely going to be interested to see if ChatGPT answers, familiarity, all that kind of continues to go up over time. I'll quickly jump in and say something that jumped out to me was how much optimism improved over several different factors in teenagers' life. So we have a beautiful little chart in our slide deck, if you take a look, that keeps track of how teenagers feel about their relationships with their immediate family, their physical health, their family's finances, their relationships with friends, happiness, motivation, mental health, anxiety, and stress. So that's a lot of different categories. And what's cool about it is you can see changes over time. So our earliest data point is March, 2021. And then we have data points for each for March, 2022, and then March, 2023. And in a lot of areas, when we're asking about how people are feeling specifically related to COVID with the way we phrase this question is since the coronavirus began in March, 2020, how have each of the following changed for you? For a lot of COVID questions that we have asked before, once you hit March, 2022, things kind of stabilized. People kind of felt about COVID how they did and things didn't really change until we stopped asking COVID questions that summer. But when it comes to things like relationships with closest friends, when it comes to happiness, when it comes to motivation, when it comes to physical health, all of those things improved for teenagers where they are significantly more likely to say that those things have improved since the beginning of the pandemic than they were last year. So in the case of relationships with closest friends, they are 21 percentage points more likely to say that their relationships have improved since 2020 than they were last year. When it comes to happiness, eight percentage points more. Motivation, 16 percentage points more. Physical health, 15 percentage points increases. These are very substantial increases. And I'm very curious as to the reasons why that these might have jumped when so many other you know, kind of COVID-related questions really stabilized over time. You do have things like anxiety and stress where teenagers are still significantly more likely to say that they have weakened since the beginning of the pandemic than improved. But even so, there's like slight improvements there. So I guess it's a surprise to me because in most areas, things that we would consider to affect teenagers' happiness continue to improve over time compared to the beginning of the pandemic. And I can't attribute a specific reason why, but I think that is positive news. Moving from surprising results to not super surprising results, Patrick, I will throw this over to you. Were there any particular results in our report that you felt was really obvious and uh, perhaps stating the obvious a little bit in their findings? Yeah. So actually the whole section you just mentioned was kind of like a, yeah, duh to me. Oh, good. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, so when you talk about relationships with the family, friends, physical health, mental health, a lot of those things, motivation, like for me personally, and I know for a lot of my friends, like March 13th is when we got word that our school was shutting down of 2020 and we were all like, sweet, two weeks spring break. And that lasted about a week and a half. And then we were like, this sucks. And you really go like three, four months where you can't see anyone. You're not really talking to people that much just because like me and some of my buddies, we'd try and get like a phone call going or on my football team, we had a, an Xbox tournament that we played. And that's like 30 minutes of your day. You're spending your entire time really just alone. Right. And then, then you go into that school year, that following school year, that would have been my sophomore year. And then that's, that's all virtual school. That's all on zoom. So again, you're, you're just not talking to people. You're not hanging out with people and it, it really just sucks. Right. So then even like you say, uh, like 2021 is where things stabilized for everything else. But then in this, you, you continue to see the jump. And I kind of attribute that. So 2021, my junior year, we were in the building. But the way that they had us set up was desk had to be six feet apart. You had to wear a mask. You could only have four people sit at your lunch table. We all had to be spread out. And that was for most of the year. It wasn't until really spring, pretty much this time last year, maybe a little bit before, where they started to say, hey, you don't have to wear a mask right? You can have six people at the lunch table. That was a big thing, right? Six people could sit at your lunch table, not four. And desk could be three feet, not six, right? So you you just get closer. And this year, everything's open, right? Summer, you're able to go do whatever you wanted, go hang out with friends, spend time with people, right? And I think just those, like, those times where you get to be with people and friends, make new friends in your class. I mean, for sophomore to junior year, I, I didn't really make any new friends because you don't have the opportunity, right? You're just going to talk to the, the same people you've been talking to. And for me, I, I was fortunate enough, I played football, right? So I'm fortunate enough to have a bunch of teammates that I can hang out with every day, but especially for people not involved in sports, right? They were just going home. They, they didn't get to hang out with people. They didn't get to talk with anyone else. So that was kind of a, a yeah, duh statistic for me, just because like everything's open now. I think that's kind of what's played into that. I think it's really helpful that you followed up my little monologue with that, because I guess what I hear in that is that there's, there's a cumulative effect of the opening up of society, if you will, right? So if you're not making friends sophomore year, for example, but if you make a friend in junior year, maybe by senior year, you're an even better friend, or you've had a lot of experiences together, you're able to plan summer trips and activities and things like that. And it sounds like that has a cumulative effect on you feeling good about your relationships and, and life overall. So that's a really helpful insight, I think, like kind of a cumulative effect on happiness. Colin, what about you? Any well-duh moments for you? Yeah, I want to touch on, like you said, that was, it was really cool to hear Patrick talk about his experience and when he saw this figure in this, in this graphic and to see his experience where it's, yeah, well, duh, of course, like we experienced this and now three years removed, here we are. That's a huge jump. And I think, John, what you and I hear a lot from people not in high school, not in there, in the moment, and especially when it comes to, and this, this doesn't especially track like academic performance, but I think some of the discussion in the narrative that I'm used to hearing, at least personally, and I'm sure, John, you've heard it as well, is that look at how far teens are behind from where they were pre-COVID. But I think the important thing and what is worth talking about is what Patrick highlighted too, is that think about where they were during COVID and where they are now. And I, I think both are true and I think both are important to highlight. So that right there was really good. The thing I'm going to point to, and 
I find it funny because I used to think this question, because this is this is an OG, this is something we've been asking for a while. You know, we ask parents and now we ask teens as well. How important is it for you to learn each of these at school? So parents, and there, there's a big disparity here, and the well duh comes from the fact that only 38% of teens think it's extremely important to learn core academic subjects. And I want to get Patrick's take on this as well. But and I remember my experience in high school, I was thinking. I wish we would spend more time on certain life skills, like how to change a tire, how to open a bank account, how to write a check, like practical things that are going to matter and require attention as soon as you leave high school and become a young adult and go to college and things instead of worrying about, you know, classes like trigonometry or things like, for example, like a high school student going to college for writing or going to school, you know, to be a doctor or something like they're never going to use trigonometry or geometry, like things like that. So in this graphic also shows that 58% of teens and by far the most think it's extremely important to learn skills for future employment. I think that is well done for me as well, because teens are thinking about what's going to happen next. And parents as well agree that that is the thing they believe is most important for high schoolers to learn. But the disparity between parents and teens comes from the core academic subjects. And I find myself reflecting on my experience and thinking, yeah, I don't know how important it is to continue to hammer these core academic subjects compared to, you know, learning things for future employment or getting ready for college or anything like that. So that was one of my takeaways. And I'd really like to hear what Patrick I've heard that you have an idea for an ideal school day, or you've talked about what should be taught in schools. And I'm curious what your takeaway was, if you have one from this slide. Yeah. So last semester, I took a class called Leadership and Legacies with Miss Habig. She's a fantastic teacher. And um, the first part of the class was was kind of boring. Uh, sorry, Miss Habig, but the first half of the semester was kind of boring because it was pretty much just like a glorified book report. But the second part is where I really found interest, and it was called the Shark Tank Project. So it was kind of modeled after the show Shark Tank, where we pick a problem, whatever problem we want. It can be in the school, it could be in our lives, it can be in the world, whatever we want. And we're going to spend three months working on it. And then we pitch it to just kind of people in our community would come in, different people in jobs, different leaders, just kind of a variety of people would come in and listen to us pitch. So my presentation was at my school, we have a thing called Pathways. So we're on block schedule. So for those not familiar, like we take half of our classes are on one day, half on the other. We take seven classes. So we take four on one and then three on the other. And then to fill the other 82 minutes, we have think, uh, something called Pathways. So it's an 82 minute block where you can come in, you can go to any teacher you want for academic help. Or if you don't want academic help, you have a C or higher, then you can just leave. I think people leaving is kind of a waste of time, right? Everyone's leaving. I mean, I, I leave because why do I want to sit around for an extra 82 minutes in a class I don't need help? In? My project kind of centered on how do we fix pathways? And then it expanded into, into something greater. So what I presented was for our pathways period for four years, right? For freshmen and sophomores, yeah, they're taking their whatever classes they got to take to knock things out, right? Those core classes, because you do have to take some core classes. You have to learn algebra. You have to learn those, if not anything, just to, for the process of learning something. But for your freshman, sophomore year, in that pathways period, what I proposed was we have different people working a variety of jobs. It could be college counselors, military, and then, you know, your Walgreens owner or someone who owns their own business or a firefighter, police officer, whoever it is. 
right? Have them come in and kind of just talk about what they did in their job. What, what do they do? What do they like about it? What do they not? And then how did they get there to kind of envision or give freshmen and sophomores a vision of, if I want to do this, how do I get to that? I mean, certainly my high school experience, I went into freshman year and I immediately get asked what I want to be. And I, I had no clue what was even out there. And then when you start thinking about what is out there, it's, well, I don't know how to do that. Right. So I think giving that vision and then junior year, or if we go freshman through senior year, junior year was going to be kind of a get ready for if you want to go to college or if you want to get a trade or whatever you want to do, shore up your academics, make sure your grades are set. And then if you want to go to college, SAT prep, because colleges still look at that, get your grades and then talk about how do you apply to college? What looks good? What do you need to be doing? Right. Because for our school, we send we go on a through Common App. Naviance is how we do our college applications. Right. And we just kind of do it on our own. And it's not a, it's not a terribly hard website, but you do kind of go through it like, I hope this is right. I, I don't know really what I'm clicking on. And it works out. But I think a simplified process could just make it easier for everyone. And then for those that want to go to trades, right, or even those who don't really know, kind of show like, here's what I need to do to get that certificate once I graduate. Or here's the different options, right? If I want to be a, an auto mechanic, here's the trade schools in the area for that. A buddy of mine is doing that right now, a little two-year program, and then he's going to try and work for Andretti because uh, Andretti Autosports just moved in. They're going to open up a headquarters here uh, right where I live. And then senior year, what I talked about was kind of kind of cut back some of the classes, right? Because a lot of people, I mean, we have a flex period where you can miss a day pretty much. So you only go to school every other day. And a lot of people, they're not taking meaningful classes. Like I'm, I'm not really taking meaningful classes. Some of them are interesting, but a lot of them are just blow-offs. And you, I mean, right now I'm just like counting down the days to graduation. So for senior year, what I proposed was those same people that come and talk to us as freshmen and sophomores, we can go do internships with them throughout senior year. And maybe, maybe you do a couple, right? But you get that, that work experience. And I think that's where you can learn your skills for future employment, right? 58% of teens say they want that. And how do you teach that in a school, right? We have little 15 minute PowerPoints where they talk about, make sure you show up on time or most of them teachers don't even play through because they think they're dumb, to be honest. So I think that's where you can teach that because you actually go out and you learn, okay, how do I do this job? What is it like to be in an office setting? What's it like to run a podcast? What's it like if I want to be a firefighter? What's a, what's a day in the life of a firefighter like? And you gain that experience because I think experience is more useful than, in terms of learning future employment skills. I think that experience is more useful than any PowerPoint presentation a school can give us. So that was my project. I believe one of the questions that got brought up in the project, I'll just address it, was like, how do you get companies to come in and present and then be open to all these internships? What I kind of highlighted was right now, I live in Indiana, the state of Indiana. It's about 50-50 shot of people that go to college if they come back to work in Indiana or if they move out. My proposed answer to that question was, I'm going to graduate from Ball State in four years. Right? I'm going to come out. I'm going to look for a job. You know, if I already have that built-up connection from freshman year high school through now, right, and I, I know that person, they know me, right, maybe they're more likely to offer me a job, maybe we, re- we retain talent in Indiana instead of it moving to Chicago. I'd always joke that people that go to Indian University always move to Chicago because all my cousins have done that. So I think it's a way for Indiana to retain talent 
I think it's a way to get more people learning their skills for future employment. I think it's a way to also just get people more focused on what they want to do. You know, one of the stats in here is about nearly one in 14 either have no specific post high school plans or don't know what they want to do. And I think that's the way to raise that number up because if you're hearing all that's out there freshman year, if you're getting to experience it junior and senior year, right now maybe you're able to narrow it down. I was able to take an EMT class this first semester because I thought maybe I'd be interested in that. I ended up not liking that, but at least I knew, hey, this isn't something that I want to do. And some, I know another person in the exact same class, they weren't sure about it. They love it. They're going to go be an EMT right after high school. They want to be a paramedic and a firefighter. That's what they're going to do. So I think that experience will just raise that number of nearly one in 14 don't know what they want to do. I think it'll also help with the employment skills for future employment, right? I think it'll help teach that. Yeah. I think that's a nice innovative approach that does address a lot of things just for context for people listening. We ask this question to parents as well in the general population, and they also are most likely to think that high school should be preparing teenagers for future employment. But a big difference is that it's followed pretty closely by a belief that core academic skills are also extremely important for teenagers. And it's for teenagers, it's the core academic skills that are much less likely to be valued. 20 percentage points fewer think that it is extremely important. So teenagers are not seeing the connection between core academic skills that are involved in high school and future employment in a way that I think parents and the general population assume or believe. And I think the way Patrick is talking about this, I think should communicate that teenagers are thinking about future employment and perhaps not always seeing a clear way in which high school is preparing them for that. So, so thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Patrick. I'm going to skip past my least surprising one quick, just for the sake of time. And we will jump to the number moving forward. So, you know, this is one of the beautiful things about this public opinion tracker is that we track it over time since 2020. So we're going to be looking at a lot of these same questions going forward. Colin, what number do you think is going to be most important kind of going forward? What are you going to be keeping your eye on? So it's similar to the first question that I brought up about that was surprising talking about school and highlighting how schools are kind of not meeting the needs of teens when it comes to mental health in the future and also with academics. So we we did a little bit more of a, a deeper dive with that. And we asked, how well do you feel your school addresses the following amongst the students? And the four things we asked about were mental health, guns, bullying, as well as violent behaviors. So those four really important, like pressing issues when it comes to schools these days, especially for teens. And what we saw from September to March, September was our last wave of the teen survey. And from to this current wave, we saw a slight decrease in terms of how well teens thought their schools were doing addressing the following. We saw a slight decrease in mental health, 2%, guns, 2% decrease, violent behaviors, 3%. We also saw a 5% decrease, uh, which is more significant when it comes to bullying. But looking past just the decreases in, in, in terms of how schools are doing since last fall, just looking at the overall numbers, it's pretty grim. One third of students think their school is doing a good job addressing mental health. Two in five teens think their school is doing well handling guns. One in three teens think they're handling bullying well. And, and, and roughly, again, one in three teens think that schools are doing well when it comes to addressing violent behaviors. None of them met the 50% threshold. 
the majority of teens feel that schools are doing a poor job addressing these four issues. So that is something I'm going to look for just to see if it can go back to September's levels, which were slightly better, or if it can just improve in, in general. To me, it's I, I don't know how much lower it can go with these four issues, considering the importance of them. One in three teens feel that their school's doing a job addressing mental health. Uh, again, I, I saw a survey from the National Alliance of Mental Illness, I was reading it, they, had, they did a teen survey in 2022, and they said that two in three teens think that schools should talk about mental health, teach about it, and should help students uh, in terms of how and where to seek treatment. I mean, teens are well aware of the mental health crisis that they're facing, and they are pretty adamant, and they're making it abundantly clear that school is not holding up their end of the bargain. Again, you could argue how traditional of a source schools are for mental health. But again, this is not a problem that was, it was more taboo, you know, in, in recent history. And now it's becoming way more talked about, which is absolutely necessary, but schools aren't holding up their end of the bargain. And again, this kind of just goes back into our overall mission of the fact that if your school isn't meeting your students, your child's in, in the fact of a teen, your own mental health needs, kids should be free to, and families should be free to look elsewhere or, you know, have options when it comes to this because mental health is paramount and schools aren't doing enough. And that's one thing that I saw from this report. That's one of the first things I'll look at during the next report for sure. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I would just want to add two data points for context for people. In these four categories that Colin mentioned, these are things that we ask parents in the general population about as well, or at least school parents. I actually can't remember at the moment if we ask the general population about this as well. But parents are significantly more optimistic about their school's abilities to handle dealing with these four issues than the teenagers are, which you know probably should be a signal. And the other thing is a data point that we have about uh, where teenagers get their information about education and news generally. And as no one should be surprised by, teens are way more likely to cite social media than anything else. And so in a lot of ways, I think schools have taken it upon themselves to talk about physical health issues. It's just general safety things in a lot of ways. I remember stop, drop, and roll stuff in elementary school, right? So like schools have taken in some some kind of regard, some general uh, uh, physical safety stuff. And obviously mental health is kind of a, it's, its own animal. But if they're not, if, if kids aren't getting the help that they need and they know that they need, uh, that's that's kind of the thing is there's an awareness of, of, of this kind of thing. If they're not getting the help that they need from school, where are they getting it from? And, uh, you know, you can argue that there's some perverse incentives when it comes to social media, which is where a lot of uh, kids are turning to. But that's that's my editorialization. Patrick, what about you? What's a, what's the big number going forward for you? The one that I want to focus on and hopefully see improvement, it's under the category of almost one in three teens say they are thriving to some degree. But more specifically, the, the disparity between male and female. So 39% of males say they're thriving and only 22% of females say they're thriving. That, that's the second lowest of the different groups with the lowest being uh, LGBTQ groups. But But just looking at the disparity between male and females, I think for... Well, you mentioned social media as a main source for, uh, for people to get news. Social media is the main 
source for how people get everything, especially in, in people my age, especially coming out of COVID. You know, when you don't have much to do, you hop on to TikTok. A lot of people don't have a lot to do. And then I, I think what you see on TikTok, and if you watch the documentary Social Dilemma, I don't know if any of you guys have watched it, but it's on Netflix. I believe it's still on Netflix. It kind of talks about how different social media companies kind of target women, uh, specifically the teenage girls, about, you know, body types and different body issues and, and by dysmorphia because they know girls will stay on to that. And I think you can see the results from it here, right? You can see only 22% of females say they're thriving. That's about one in five. And then when you look at it at a greater rate on the Center for Suicide Prevention, right? Men are more likely to die from suicide, but women will attempt suicide two to three times more often than men, right? So it, it, it gets somber, but I think that's a number that really needs to be focused on because I would say that that could be backed up in my school, right? A lot of girls are more concerned with, with how they look, how their bodies are, and how they're going to be perceived through social media and by their peers than like, like, you know, I wake up, roll out of bed, throw on some clothes and go to school. I don't, I don't really care what I look like. I'm going to be at school for seven hours, but I think you see a lot of it like that. I think that's a number that, that if you could get that number up, that's the number to look at in the future. That kind of disparity between demographics and including a gender one is definitely something that we've been keeping an eye on for a while. So it's really good of you to, to bring that up. It took a long time for girls taking the survey to even say that they had improved since COVID at all, whereas the guys taking our survey were much quicker to, you know, have the positive outweigh the, the negative. So it's a, it's a good insight. Mine going forward is drawing attention to post high school plans. So Colin and I wrote an op-ed last fall after our last teen survey, noting that there was a substantial decline in teenagers who were saying that they were planning on attending college going forward, a four-year college specifically. And so we thought that that was something to, to keep an eye on and that schools and like universities needed to respond to. So I feel like it is appropriate uh, and maybe necessary to return to that question now because there is a decently big bump back, if you will, in favor for four-year college. So as a reference point, in September, 29% of teenagers said that uh, they were planning on attending an in-state four-year college or university after high school, and then another 18% were planning on doing out-of-state. In-state four-year has jumped up six percentage points to 35%, and out-of-state bumped up by eight percentage points, so you know within the margin of error or whatever, for out-of-state four-year college or university. So not a continued decline, which was something that Colin and I said was definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'll also say too, you know, the age range of people taking the survey ranges from 13 to 18. So, you know, we have some 13 year olds who may be making their best guess and they don't really know. And that's completely fair, but just something that I think I wanted to highlight since it's it's something that Colin and I had uh, talked about before, picked up a little bit of traction. So still something I'm going to be keeping an eye on going forward for how teenagers seem to be feeling about four-year college going forward and, you know, how optimistic or pessimistic they feel about its ability to be what they uh, what they need after high school. To wrap this up quickly, Patrick, if you will, I want you to tell us as our as our resident teenager today, what do you think the uh, the the 
the adults listening to this podcast, the decision makers in our uh, education system, what is something that you think they're not paying attention to that uh, they, they need to be paying attention to that the survey brought up? I'd say that they're not paying attention to the crying out for, for skills for future employment. At least they're not paying attention to a way to, to improve it. Because I remember even going back to my freshman year four years ago, there was all this push that, that we were going to have special employment classes or employment abilities where you were going to learn about how to be a, a worker. And that, and that still hasn't come. And, and the, they, again, they send out PowerPoints for us to look at in pathways. And most teachers don't show them because they're not worth anything. Right? You, don't, you don't look at a PowerPoint that you don't really care about. That you're not getting notes over right? Because some teacher says this will help you get a job because even the teachers are saying straight up that's not. So I, I think that's what policymakers, that's what whoever's listening, how do you get people to feel like they're learning employment skills, right? Not just, you know, it's not about, you can't judge the, the program by its intent, right? What, what are the results of the program? Do people feel like they're getting what, what they want out of it? I think that's what needs to be focused on. Awesome. That's a great note to end on. The kids, the kids want to work, everybody. <laughs> Help them figure out how to do it. Thank you to uh, everyone uh, listening. Thank you to Colin and Patrick for joining me on this uh, special edition of our Opinion Tracker podcast. This, I am confident, is our youngest ever episode. It also might be the longest episode. I'm not sure about that, at least as far as recording time. We'll see what makes it into the final version. So with that, we also thank uh, Jacob Vinson, our art director here at EdChoice, and uh, wonderful podcast producer who makes us sound as uh, professional as we possibly can. And thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out insights into something that is very important. If education is about kids, I think it is very important to listen to what they are, what they are telling us. And that's why I value the teen survey that we do. Again, you can check it out on our satellite website with Morning Consult at edchoice.morningconsultintelligence.com. We also have all of the cross tabs and the questionnaire, you know, available there, free to access so that you can check out everything that we're doing on our own. If you have any feedback on what we might be able to include in future editions of, of this survey, we are always welcoming a feedback to help us make the, the survey better. But uh, in the meantime, everyone enjoy the, the rest of your day wherever you are, and uh, we'll see you on another edition of EdChoice Chats.